If you have your Bibles, uh, let's uh, turn to Matthew chapter 16. And while you're turning there, I will pray over the receiving of the word. Father God, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and uh, we thank you for this time that we have had together so far. We hope that you have been glorified, and we hope that we have blessed you in our worship. Father, we ask now that you, you move upon us to uh, allow us to receive your word with humility, and uh, we ask that you work in us a miracle of grace to make your word come alive in us. Let it be seed for the sower, and let it fall upon fertile ground. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. So I'm going to read to you Matthew 28, um, which has been kind of an anchor text for us for a few weeks, and then we'll go to Matthew 16. That's, that's where I'm going to hang out today. Um, but, uh, so I'm going to read Matthew 28, and then we'll skip right to Matthew 16, which is where, where our anchor text is. In Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now in Matthew 16, beginning in verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And so now we get back to it. Anybody ever feel like you've been under attack Anyone ever feel that way? Like you, like, uh, I mean, you know, I don't know, just like, could anything else possibly go wrong? And you're afraid to ask that question because as sure as you do, something else will go wrong. As sure as you ask that question, you'll get more bad news. Especially when you're trying to do something for the kingdom of God. It's like that old adage, uh, the no good deed goes unpunished. You ever heard that? Yeah. And then you wonder, uh, why me? <laughs> Am I being punished? Why me, Lord? I was trying to do the right thing. I was trying to be paid, uh, faithful. What's all this for? Sometimes it's a whole lot of little things. Sometimes it's one huge thing. Sometimes it's several huge things coming against you. Sometimes it seems like it's a perfect storm. And it's like... It's just something that's specifically designed for the sole purpose of taking you out. Amen. Feel like that? Any one of those things can shake us and knock us out to where we just, we just don't know what to do. We just don't know which way to go, which way to turn, what to do. We just want to give up and throw in the towel. 
You know, I'm, I'm done with this mission. I'm done trying to be good, uh, trying to do good. I'm done trying to be nice to people, trying to help people. I'm done trying to make a difference. I'm done pouring into people. I'm, I'm going to turn my thoughts inward. I'm going to turn inward now. It's time to focus on me. I'm, I'm done putting, putting out there because I see where that got me. Yeah. It's time for me to, to circle the wagons and focus inward now. I'm done with that. It doesn't matter how resilient you are how strong you are, because big things are going to come and they can knock you out. It doesn't matter how non-resilient you are, how weak you are, because little things will come and they can knock you out. Amen. I had a, a weekend that was a pretty rough weekend. It was one of those uh, a whole lot of little things kind of weekends. Um, it just seemed like if it could go wrong, it did go wrong. I'll spare you the details Suffice it to say, it was a, it was a rough weekend. <laughs> Plumbing issues. Yay. It's okay, though, if we get stunned. You know, things hit us, and sometimes they, they knock us off guard. We get, we get caught off guard. It's okay if we get stunned um, once in a while, as long as we remain standing. The problem comes... When we get shaken, the problem comes when we get knocked down. In our text this morning in Matthew 16, Jesus said, I am building my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now that is a declaration. That's a statement. He's not instructing us to do anything here. He's declaring something that is true about his church. So we can take his statement of truth and we can apply it to our own lives. If this is true of the church, it's true of me and you as part of the church. There are two encouraging truths that I want to bring out of this text this morning that will help us in our lives and in particular in those times when we feel like we're we're just up against too much in this mission of making disciples, or for those times when it feels like it's just, it's just blown up in our faces, when we just feel like there's too much going on in the world, like everything is against us. You know, when I, can anything else go wrong? You know? Number one, the church always moves forward. Amen. The church always moves forward. We always know which direction to go. We never have orders to retreat, ever. And before we dig into Matthew 16, I I do want to point out something in Matthew 28. I'm not not trying to go backwards. You don't have to turn there. I'm only going to be there for just a minute. I'll put it up on the screen. Matthew 28, verse 19, Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples. Now, if you remember from last week, or from weeks, weeks past, make disciples is the instruction. That's the imperative in the Greek, the commandment. Make disciples. But if you look before it, you're going to see another word in the English that looks like an instruction. It looks like a command. It's the word go. And it is a command, but not by itself. It doesn't stand alone. Because if it did stand alone, we'd be asking and we'd be wondering, go where? Go and do what? Go why? Go how? Right? 
In this case, go describes the instruction to make disciples, just like baptizing and teaching describes how we are to go and make disciples. In other words, this is not a field of dreams kind of situation here where if you build it, they will come. We are to go and make disciples. We must go to them, go out into the world, go out into the nations, go out into our communities to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who have not heard it. So let me say a little, just a brief word about those who have not heard the gospel. Just because someone knows Jesus or knows about Jesus or they've heard the name of Jesus, that does not mean they have heard the gospel. Now they may tell you when you ask them, do you know Jesus? Oh yeah, I know who Jesus is, especially in our culture, in our society, because we've commercialized Christianity, but they don't know the gospel. That's a whole different ballgame. He may, they may know who he is, but he doesn't know who they are. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I know you not. So back to my point. Our point is that the church must go bring the gospel to them. So everyone got that? We are to go with the gospel message. The language is pretty clear. It's not a stationary activity. It's the church on the move, right? So back in Matthew 16... Verse 18, that's where I want to hang my hat today. Uh, Jesus said, I tell you, you are a Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So now, finally, we get back to it. I told you we would come back here. We took a very long detour through Matthew 28 as we looked at what Jesus meant when he said, I will build my church. But now, we're circling back to where we left off, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This is military language. This is military language. This is the language of battle, the language of warfare, and we need to know this and understand this going into it. What we're looking at here is warfare in the spirit against the kingdom of hell. And that brings a whole lot with it in terms of how we approach spiritual disciplines. And that means that it brings a whole lot with it in terms of how we approach living our lives. How many of you know that an attack in the spirit usually starts on the outside and works its way in? It starts in the physical. It starts as an attack in the physical. But because we are, are, are beings that exist both spiritually and physically at the same time, it starts as a physical attack that have spiritual ramifications. So we, we, we have a, spirit, a physical attack and we, we deal with it spiritually. So we try to we work things out spiritually as we deal with them and then we parse them physically. So when Jesus uses military language to describe the experience of the church, it's worth taking notice. Paul uses the same kind of language when he talks about us being soldiers for Christ, right? We see the command in Matthew 28, 19, go and make disciples. And we see that especially in light of the language that he uses here in chapter 16, that gates of hell will not prevail against the church. We need to get a clear picture in our minds of the church being on the move. The church on the advance, pushing forward in the front lines of the battle. The church is taking the fight to the enemy. The church captures ground from the enemy, not the other way around. This is what it says. After all, 
Gates are defensive structures. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. My whole life, I have read this passage. My whole life, I have understood this. I've read this passage. And I have imagined an oppressed, almost wimpy church when I've read this passage. Uh, So the picture I have in my mind when I read, The gates of hell will not prevail against it is that all the world and all the forces, all the dark and menacing forces of hell are all against the church, which they are. That's true, right? So I've got this idea of the persecuted church, this this little beacon of light in a dark corner, and there's all these dark, menacing forces that are pressing in and trying to crush the church and trying to stamp out the gospel message and trying to, to kill all the Christians, and the, the church is constantly just you know, trying to fend off the attack from the gates of hell, and the church is trying to, to defend itself from hell. Now, don't, don't, don't get me wrong. We're not losing. We're not giving up ground, but we're, we're always on the, the defense. The hell is on the offense. Hell is on the attack. It's a looming danger over the church. Isn't that how it feels in the world? Sure feels that way, doesn't it? Am I the only one that has anyone else get that picture when they read this? Am I the only one? So that's a picture I've always gotten in my mind when I read this passage. But here's the thing. It is an unconscious disconnect between the things that I know about God, Christ, and His church in other parts of the Scripture. So I know other things about the victorious Christ, other things about the victorious Christ in the Scripture, and how the church is victorious with Christ in the Scripture. And I read this, and I have this other image that is kind of disconnected from that, and it's an unconscious disconnection because I never put the two together because I never read it carefully enough to put the two together to resolve that conflict. And then finally, one day I was reading a book by J.D. Greer and he mentioned this passage. Then he mentioned that gates are defensive structures. And that just makes so much sense to me. Gates are defensive structures. And a light bulb went off in my head and I thought, oh my goodness, I have been, I've been picturing this all wrong my whole life. That's not the picture that Jesus was painting at all. That's not it at all. He wasn't trying to picture a church or paint a picture of a church that was cowered in a corner defending attacks from the kingdom of hell. It's it's not cowered in a corner at all. If Jesus had wanted us to get a picture like that, he would have said that the armies of hell would not prevail against the church because armies are offensive structures, offensive uh, uh, weapons. Gates are not offensive weapons. Gates are defensive structures. He didn't say armies, he said gates. So it's not the church that's cowered in a corner trying to fend off the attacks from the kingdom of hell. It's hell that's cowered in a corner trying to fend off the attacks from the church and it's on the advance. Now picture that. Hell, the kingdom of hell, cowered in a corner 
This little shadow of darkness among all this glorious light from the kingdom of heaven. And there's this little coward in, in a corner, little caged animal like a caged rat just spitting and spewing and sputtering and doing everything it can to throw everything it's got at the, at the armies of heaven. Just trying to do everything it can to stay alive. It's desperate. That's what the image that Jesus Christ is painting. That's why he said the gate. He, he could easily have said the armies of hell. And, he would have, and that would have changed the picture altogether. But he didn't. He said gates. Gates are defensive structures. For me, that changes the whole dynamic of the text and of the mission. It changes the, the dynamic of the picture of who I am. When struggle comes, when trouble comes, and what I must do when trouble comes. I must keep advancing. I must keep moving forward. If I'm going to stumble, I must stumble forward. Because I'm like a soldier on the front lines. I've got to keep moving. I've got to keep pressing forward. Because it's the enemy that's on the run. It's not me. I'm pressing forward. I've got the armies of heaven behind me. I have the king of kings and lord of lords behind me. Devil, Satan, has thrown everything he's got against me. Why? Because he's scared of the power that is behind me. He that is in me is greater than he that is within the world. No weapon that is formed against me shall be able to prosper. So keep moving forward, church. Keep going. Go and make disciples. When he throws everything he's got at me, I've got to remember to keep pressing forward that's when we dig in and move forward even harder that's when faith turns to fight right I'm not talking in platitudes I mean it that's what he's saying which brings me to my next point which strengthens the first point we are assured of victory in Christ just by the way that he words it, Jesus gives us an assurance of victory. It's worth noting that hell, which is Hades in the Greek, is, or was considered the, the realm of death. So when the disciples heard Jesus say what he said, they would have understood Jesus not to just mean the kingdom of hell, because it, it, was, it was thought of as a kingdom, a kingdom of darkness, wickedness, not just the forces of evil, but of death itself. So death itself would not be able to prevail over his church. His church that he is building would survive and be victorious over even death. And in fact, the church would not exist apart from the death and resurrection of Christ our King. And the church throughout history has only grown in spite of the deaths and partly because of the deaths of the countless martyrs who have given their lives in advance of the gospel. Death can't stop his church. Christ has already won the victory. And so he has given us great hope in the mission. If death can't stop us, what can? Our mission of making disciples as Jesus builds his church 
is assured victory in Christ. As we keep pressing forward in the middle of the struggle, in the middle of all the things that come crashing at us. Just look at it. It's right there in the language. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It is the church. This means that in the struggle, in the battle, the enemy will not be victorious because Christ is victorious on behalf of the church. That's very tempting for us to say that the church is victorious because of the language that Jesus uses. He said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against the church. So if you read that really quickly, you might come away thinking that it's the church victorious. But the fact of the matter is it wasn't the church that sacrificed itself for the sins of the world. It's not the church that is seated at the right hand of the Father. The church didn't defeat death, hell, and the grave. The church isn't crowned King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The church does stand in victory, but that's only because the bride stands next to her husband who is the victor. It's Christ victorious. And as we live our lives on the front lines in spiritual warfare and in pursuit of the lost sheep of this world, He has promised us victory. You don't get victory when you're not on mission. Those who are on mission are victorious. Last week I asked you to live your life on purpose, pouring into people's lives in order to show them Jesus. And I told you, that that was the piercing tip of the gospel spear. I use that language for a reason, because that represents living our lives engaged in this battle on the front lines. The weapons of our warfare, they are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. The gates of hell will not prevail. I just think, and I believe, that the Bible teaches us that if we pursue the lost with sincerity, sincerity in our hearts, not through gimmicky programs or things like that, but the ways that we've discussed through sincerely pouring into people that we will see victories. I think that if we go to them in humility and love with Christ on display, we will see victories. We'll reach our communities. When the church is on the move, We need not fear death or defeat because Christ has promised victory. He has already won the victory. I do want to be careful here, though. I don't want to pigeonhole this promise or the victory of Jesus Christ to only apply to the mission of the church because it doesn't apply to just preaching the gospel or making disciples. In fact, Christ isn't talking about the church's mission here specifically. He's talking about the church, period. His bride will prevail. The church will prevail. And what is true of the church is true of us. I want to bring this in a bit to a more individual level, not just as it relates to the gospel or disciple-making. That's, that's the mission, okay? That's the mission of the church, and Christ has given us great hope and assurance for victory in that mission. But He's also given us great hope in the moments of the mission. Great hope in the mission, great hope in the moments of the mission. We've spent the last few weeks talking about the difficult things like suffering and sacrifice and how those things are part of the Christian call and experience and how they play into the mission of making disciples. 
In this world you will have tribulation. Jesus said that. Anyone who desires to live a godly life will be persecuted. Paul said that. After you have suffered a little while, the God of grace will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That's after you have suffered a little while. Peter said that. Anytime you take up your cross to follow Christ, you are calling attention to yourself. You are the light of the world. And a city that is set up on a hill cannot be easily hidden. So you are supposed to stand out. Guess what? The enemy is going to notice you. People who hate the light of righteousness are going to notice you. And that will surely cause you some great trial. That will cause some unwanted attention. So how in the world can we carry out this mission without hope in those moments of great trial? We've talked about how we have the command to the church as a whole and then how that relates to the individuals who make up the church. The victory for the church is the victory for you. When the bride of Christ stands victorious next to her husband who is the victor, guess what? That's you standing there. Victorious as the church. The victory for the church is the victory for you. When the bride stands victorious next to her husband, we get to stand victorious. Because if we can't get through the moments, how can we fulfill the mission? If we are beaten down and defeated by the things that happen to us along the way, how can we fulfill the mission? So we are assured victory for the church. The hope that we have for the mission is the same hope that we have for every moment along the way. That's why it is well with my soul. And it ought to be well with yours. One of my favorite lyrics from the old hymns is from that song, It Is Well With My Soul. There is a a very tragic but beautiful story that surrounds the writing of that song. The author's name is Horatio Spafford, and uh, he, he lost his four daughters at sea. He had sent them and his wife uh, on a boat to go to England in 1873 to go visit D.L. Moody, who was a family friend and a popular evangelist at the time. You may have heard of him. He's kind of a father of modern evangelism. Um, while they were on their voyage, another ship collided with their ship, and in 12 minutes the boat sank and 226 souls drowned. Miraculously, and by God's mercy, his wife managed to survive, and when she got to Cardiff, England, she telegraphed back with two words, saved alone. So he got on a boat, the very next boat out, and he sailed or set sail for England. And, uh, you know, I guess it was just courtesy. The, the captain called him up to the bridge of the ship and showed him the charts as they were over the waters where his uh, daughter's boat went down and showed him, you know, I just thought you might want to know this is where the accident happened. And so, of course, he was grief-stricken in his heart. You know, that's, that's a tough thing. And so he went down to his cabin, sat at his desk, and he wrote that song and the first verse says when peace like a river attendeth my way and he contrasts that with the next line when sorrow 
like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Now that's just the first verse, but I want you to imagine where that comes from. Why he chose those words. Peace like a river, but then sorrow, like think, think of the placid river, just a river that's just flowing along. But that's peace, okay? But then sorrow like sea billows, waves crashing upon a rock. I mean, and he was on the ocean, in the very waters where he lost all four of his daughters. And he talks about how sorrow is coming over him like sea billows. I had a conversation with a, a friend the other day about how these kinds of feelings come over you like waves. And they just crash over you. Huge waves. And that's the exact imagery that is being captured in this song. Amen. Sorrow and grief, they just come over you like like huge waves, like sea billows. But you know, it doesn't have to be sorrow or grief. It can be anger. You want to have anger crash over you like sea billows, like waves crashing up over a rock, or anxiety or worry that just, it just sweeps over you like sea billows. Horatio Spafford was so grounded and so content enough in Christ that he was able to sit in that moment so satisfied enough in Christ that he was able to sit and write, whatever my lot, you have taught me to say, it is well with my soul. Now, I've, I've heard that before. If you think about it, you have too. He was living out what Paul said in Philippians 4.11. Whatever the situation I'm in, I have learned to be content. Amen. Amen. And then, just a few verses, a couple verses later in Philippians 4.13, he was living out the same thing. What it means when Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's what that means. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's about finding contentment in Christ in whatever situation you're in, knowing that he has been victorious over all situations, that no matter what situation is around us, whatever the circumstances surround us, Christ has been victorious for us so we can be content. We can be satisfied in him. It doesn't matter what is going on around us. Christ is a sure and steady rock. I mean, look at verse 12. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It just, it just boggles my mind how people can read that verse, I can do all things through Christ, and come away with some of the things they come away with. I'm going to go climb Mount Everest because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm going to ace this test because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That is not what that means. This isn't about personal achievement. It's not, it's not about personal advancement. It's about spiritual assurance. 
And how, how dare they waste this on something so trivial, something so temporary? How dare they waste this on mountain climbing or, or taking a test? This is about contentment in Christ because he is sufficient in every situation. When there is much, Christ is better. When there is little, Christ is enough. It's about Christ, about Jesus Christ. How dare they make it about themselves? And that's what they do with it. How many times have I seen that all over the internet, all over little journals that you see, devotionals. You can do all things through Christ. And the stuff they attach to it is just preposterous. Make it about what it's about. It's about living well and living good in Christ. Being satisfied in Him. I don't mean being comfortable. I mean being so satisfied that come hell or high water, it's going to be okay. Let the waves crash. Let it come because I'm standing on solid rock. Though He slay me, yet will I trust Him. He is enough. Maybe I got a little carried away there. Things like cancer's eating up my body, and I don't have any answers. The chemo is destroying everything, and the cancer's destroying everything else. I got no hair left, I got no strength left, it's just skin and bones. I can barely walk, I can barely talk, I can't eat, I can't drink. I don't know if I've got tomorrow left, and I don't know how many tomorrows I've got after that. I don't have any answers. But it's well with my soul. I'm content because of Christ. It doesn't matter these circumstances. I'm victorious because of Christ. That's what it means to say I can do all things through Christ. Your business has been hit so hard because of this pandemic. You didn't do nothing wrong. It wasn't because you made bad decisions or bad business choices. You were responsible. You didn't overextend yourself. They just they shut you down. They didn't let you operate. So you, you have to close. And now you've got to close your business. You've got no means of income. You're facing, you've got to have to sell your house and sell the cars and downsize. And everybody's got to tighten their belt. And you have to live different. And all your plans have got to change. And you don't know what you're going to do, but you're going to have to do it. You move in with the relatives or something. And all that comes crashing over you. And there's the feeling of disappointment. And, and like I've let everybody down. And, and you know, I just... Ooh. But you don't fall. It doesn't take you out. So you know what? It is, it is still well. It is still well. I have victory in Christ. We will see this through. We will see this through. I've got peace like a river. And sorrow like sea billows roll, it is well with my soul. That's what it means to say I can do all things through Christ. You're strengthened by the grace of Christ. We talked about that last week. You're strengthened to endure things like this, to be content in things like this, to be victorious in things like this because He strengthens you. Amen. Amen. Yes, He does. He is victorious. 
He is sure, and you are secure in Him. It doesn't mean you don't feel it. It doesn't mean that you're not hurt by it. You don't feel the hurt, because we do feel the pain. Sorrows like sea billows, they flood over you. You feel the loss. You feel the personal failures. When they come, you feel the pain of it, and you feel them deeply. Just look at the Psalms. Psalms are riddled with this kind of stuff. I mean, many of them, they begin with sorrow, even a complaint against the Lord, but then they always end with a promise or a praise. My soul is greatly troubled, but you, O oh Lord, how long will you make me wait? O oh Lord, how many are my foes? They're encamped all around me. O oh Lord, why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? But then at the end of them, there's always a promise. There's always a praise. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord has, is a salvation, and it belongs to him him oh lord you hear the desires of the afflicted it's okay for men and women of god to feel pain and anguish those waves they come crashing over us but we are not shaken by them and our victory is not taken by them we are not overcome by them going back to that hymn it is well with my soul my favorite verse is the one that says my sin oh the bliss of that glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. And why wouldn't it be? Why wouldn't it be when I can hold to that truth? And that is true. I mean, look, everything can come crashing around. My sin was nailed to that cross, and I bear it no more. Nations can rage. <laughs> there can be riots in the street. Kingdoms can fall. The earth can shake. Our loved ones can lay in the hospital, and we don't know if we'll see them again. It is well with my soul. I've been there. Because he is victorious. Amen. He is, not will be, but is victorious. Amen. And he has secured victory for his church Amen. and for all of us. Amen. So it won't be easy. No one said it'd be easy, but it's sure. Jesus promised that we would win, so we should go get them. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, you are good, and your mercy endures forever. Father, I thank you that you have secured for us a victory. And I thank you for the confidence that we can have as we leave this place and face all that is out there, Lord, confident that we are on the offensive, that we are not cowered in corners, but that it is the other way around. You have made for us a wonderful prize. Father, I pray that you embolden us in the world, you embolden us against the enemy, you embolden us in this fight. Strengthen us as we fight it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.